Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today is your co-host, Caleb Wells. Hey, Caleb. Hey, y'all. Hey. How's it going? Do you ever get snow down there in New Orleans? Like once every 10 years, and it doesn't stick, right? You actually have to be outside and watching it fall to see the snow. (laughs) (laughs) But hey, we're we're getting the 30s this weekend, which is extremely cold for us. And our electric company even warned us of higher than normal usage in bills because of that. (laughs) So... Well, hopefully yep. you don't lose power. No brownouts or anything like that. So No. Yeah. Sure. Yep. This morning, my, out my outside my window, it looked like a snow globe. You know, somebody shook the world and oh. everything. Nice. It was pretty. But uh, yeah, we were down to about 12 degrees, something like that. This morning is the coldest and it might get colder later this week. So I think really, our guest, he yeah, said it's he's really nowhere 10 near what right now. <laughs> they're getting into Minnesota where our guest is from. Let's welcome back to the show, Jason Bach. Hey, welcome. Hey, well, thank Jason. you for having me. And yeah. you're right. It is <laughs> it is cold here right now. So very cold. We have, we're mm. having an Arctic blast, so to speak. And as mm. we were talking before, it, it does, you know, people think, oh, you live in Minnesota. It's always cold. No, not really. I've lived here 20 years now and it can, it can get down there in the winter. But the past week, it's been like negative every day. Mm. That's that's not going to last. It, it, I think next week it's going to it will get up into into the twenties. That's a heat wave. So. <laughs> yeah, my wife's, from, my wife's from Wisconsin, and she says, you know, it doesn't snow there anymore like it used to. She used to when she was a kid, you know, walk out the front door and it just be up to her head, and it just doesn't do that anymore. Yeah. Yep. It is. It has changed. It definitely has changed. So. Global warming, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've noticed it, so. (laughs) When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Speaking of changing, I think C-sharp is changing. It is always changing. changing. I I think it might be changing faster than the weather. I don't know. Yeah, it's... The climate. Whenever I do this talk, I've now done a, a, like a what's new in C-sharp talk um, Mm -hmm. ever since since 6.0. And that's when they switched over to using the compiler API, which is just a coincidence, though that's a cool thing in and of itself. But... It seems like ever since that version, the amount of features that C-Sharp gets has been substantial. And that doesn't mean that all those features are groundbreaking or revolutionary. It's just the amount. You know, you, you know they might be a lot of little small features, but yet they're, mm. still, they're still there. And, and I think that's just a testament to the fact that now they have a, an open system. Everything's out in the open. 
everything's on GitHub, you know, it's all open source. So the community feedback and interaction has picked up the pace in a lot of ways, the way that the team works at Microsoft. Not to say that they were slow, it's just I think they're able to work now at a at a faster pace as well. Everything now being on dot well, you know, .NET framework now pretty much being done with 4.8. Mm-hmm. Everything is geared towards .NET 5 and, and beyond. It, it's it's definitely a much much different world the past five years. Yeah, the pace of releases has really kicked up, you know, going from seven to eight to nine. You know, mm-hmm. the, I'm sure the, the book publishers are having a hard time keeping <laughs> up. And <laughs> Yeah, there was... It was a couple of years ago, I was teaching an internal class on, on C-sharp. We just went through like over eight weeks, the basics, or not even the basics, just like everything possible. And I picked, I don't remember which C-sharp book I picked, but it was, it was called Essential C-sharp 7. And I'm forgetting the author's name off the top of my head. Uh, the author is my boss, Mark Michaelis. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, him. And, you know. Coincidence. There you go. Yeah. And I remember talking to him about it because that's right when around C-sharp 8 was coming out. And then, yep, that's the one. And he he said, well, I'm trying to work to 8, but then, you know, now the cadences, there's going to be 9. And, it, you know, it, it seems like, I'm not sure if future versions, which we can, you know, talk about as well, but I'm not sure if future versions are going to follow the .NET cadence. You know, like now, .NET 6 is scheduled for November of this year. .NET 7 is scheduled for November of next year. You know, they're on this yearly cycle. At least, I think they've set up to .NET 9 or 10. They want to be on that Mm -hmm. yearly cycle. I don't know if the language is necessarily going to follow that cycle as well. But it's it's been rapid. It definitely has been Mm -hmm. rapid. So for those of you that don't know, we, we had Jason on early on in the podcast uh, life back in 2019 to discuss eight. And we wanted to uh, bring him back to discuss nine and dig some more into C-sharp. Jason, I know there were, I don't know if controversial is the right word, uh, additions to C-sharp eight or features. I don't see really see any C-sharp nine. Do you? You mean in terms of features in C-sharp nine having that kind of controversial feel? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really, I don't see that. I think the one from C sharp eight that sticks out with everybody is the fault interface members that Mm, I think really threw people for a loop because the way that we've always viewed interfaces for a long time in C sharp suddenly changed and you could Mm -hmm. actually make methods or members have implementations you could actually have different levels of accessibility on interfaces, you know, and some other things as well. And that kind of throws people for a loop that, you know, some, some people got very adamant about, well, this is wrong. This is not the way interfaces right. should be. And, and now do I use abstract classes or now do I use interfaces? And really the intent of the feature was to, you know, among other things, solve kind of the problem that they talk about with versioning which is mm-hmm. if you have version one of an interface and people implement it, and now you have version two, where you may have added members, now you've broken everybody. And mm-hmm. how do you try to minimize that? Well, default interface members can help with that. But of course, people look at this feature and go, well, how can, you know, 
what evilness can I do with it? Or how can, what, how can I make people really confused if I'm, if I'm doing stuff that people don't expect, you know? So that one, I think out of anything in C-sharp eight really ruffled some feathers with some people. I, yeah. I don't see that with nine. I just, I, I see some cool features, but I don't see any in there that are making people go, this is kind of breaking my perception of how fundamental things in the language work. Gotcha. So, so I think that, one of the, well, go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was going to say, uh, if we want to get into some of those changes, I think the, the biggest change that almost everybody's aware of is records. Right? Yes. And I think a lot of people are probably happy about records. But I th yeah. I think overall, from what I've seen, uh, people chatting about features in C-sharp 9, which I'm, I'm going to also say we cannot forget to talk about source generators at the end, because to me, that's the, the, the coolest one out of all of them. So let's let's save the best for last. But <laughs> records, because you know, source generators gets a little complicated, but I think records is a lot more approachable. And it's something that I think people have been asking for for a while. You know, the thing with features in C-sharp is they don't just happen overnight. And I don't, not that people think that, but there are some features that go through years of research and prototyping and experimentation before they finally land on, this is what we want to do. And I think that's the same with records. You know, it's something they've discussed for a while and how do they implement it and how does it work? And in nine, they finally landed on, well, this is what it's going to be. At least, you know, it, it can be expanded upon later. In meaning that like one of the things with records right now is that it's fundamentally a class. You know, there is a keyword record, but if you look at how it's actually compiled, it's just a, it's a class with a whole bunch of stuff added to it that you don't have to write. Maybe in the future, they give you the ability to say, I want my record to be a struct. You know, maybe that that's something that could happen. But for now, records are our classes by default. So just for everybody listening, like, well, what is a record? What the official definition is of a record, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not like Mads Torgensen. I'm not somebody that's on the team and, and living and breathing this every day. I'm just somebody who uses the language and uses it a long time. So my definition may not be the quote unquote official one, but yeah, because we're not me, talking database records here. Right, right. It's <laughs> records are, to me are just a really handy way to create nice POCOs. And I don't mean to trivialize the feature by saying that. It's, I have seen so many times in applications, people writing stuff where they end up creating POCOs, plain old CLR objects, which is just a class with a bunch of properties that have getters and setters, and that's it. But maybe they want to do something with having things be immutable because immutable is supposed to be better for you. You know, it, it works better in concurrency. It has other advantages with immutability, but then how do I make a new object from an immutable one? And how do I, I don't want to build all the boilerplate code, code to build a two string, or I, I don't want to create a deconstruct method, you know, on and on and on and on. So if you just say public record customer, and then with records, they have this nice new syntax that you can actually have like a constructor built with it. We could just say like string name in there. What gets generated, if you actually use a tool like ILSpy or something like that, if you look at what's generated, you get a whole bunch of stuff there. You get the property, you get a constructor, you get two string implemented, you get equality implemented for you, you get a deconstruct method so you can deconstruct things into a tuple. It's 
it's really, to me, that's real, one of the cool things about records is it's, and you see this with C Sharp in some other ways as well. It's this idea of trying to get it so that you don't have to write as much code to accomplish a bunch of cool things. You know, if, if in, like in C Sharp 8, the fact that you could say using var database equal the new database or something like that, and then just have a semicolon, you don't have a block. So you, you basically say everything that's after that line in that enclosing scope is going to be part of the I disposable block. And then once you get out of that, it automatically will call dispose for you. So you only lose two lines of code because you don't have the curly braces anymore, but just those little things where you get just a little bit less and a little bit less is good. And with records, you get a whole lot of less if that it makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't probably sound the, is, is the way I wanted it to come across, but that's true. You get a lot of yeah. a less of stuff that you have to write. You can write something that it gives you a lot of functionality and literally one line of code. Honestly, I've, I've found for me, that's one of the biggest benefits in them updating C-sharp is uh, when they go and implement something that requires you to do less boilerplate or for you to let, write less code just to get to, you know, uh, step one, basically. Mm -hmm. And it seems like records definitely does that for, for us. One of the things that you mentioned, and I think is really interesting, is taking a record and then referencing it from a tuple so that you then you, you then have all of the properties or you can have all the properties on that record as separate items that you can then reference. It's an interesting use of the, the new record class. Yes. And and you say tuple, I say tuple. You know, it's yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomato, tomato. tomato, tomato. <laughs> yeah, I've gone exactly. back and forth. Yeah, I've gone yeah. back and forth. Tuple, tuple, <laughs> yeah. Right. But if you, you you don't have to write that deconstruct method, which if, you know, again, if listeners aren't quite sure what I'm talking about, um, with tuples being added in C Sharp, if you write a method on your class definition, public void deconstruct, and then you have a whole bunch of out parameters, what you can then do is assign a tuple with, that will take the same number of values that are going to be outed from the deconstruct method. And you get this nice syntax where you can basically pull all the data out of it and then use it how you want. Uh, so this is like this special little thing that C, the C-sharp compiler looks for. Well, when you use a record, that's just made for you. You don't have to write that. So the, another thing with records that I find interesting is in, in a way it's kind of like link when link was added in c-sharp 3 we got a whole bunch of other features that came along just to support link you know like type inference type inference anonymous objects and uh, extension methods whole bunch of stuff with records they added this notion this idea and notion with properties because records are immutable by default but i still may want to use that object initializer syntax so you can actually create a new record and use the object initialization syntax because they added another way for a property property be defined, which is a knit only properties. So you can now say in a property, get a knit. And that means that the property can be assigned in an object initialization block. After that, you can't, you can't assign it after that. But that's not restricted to records. You can use that on any class definition that you have. 
But with records, it's nice because you can create a new record, get that object initialization syntax, and also use that with another feature in records, which is called withers. So if I have a record that is a customer that has a bunch of stuff assigned to it, and then I want to create a new customer that has all the same values of that original one, but I just want to change the name, you can basically say, you know, this object reference with, and then the, the property name that you want to change. So the original one doesn't, that stays the same because it's, it's immutable, but you'll get a new one back with all the same values, except the ones that you have in that with. So, you know, this is kind of hard to explain on a podcast, but if you look up the definitions of what records are, you'll see this, this wither syntax and, it, and it's kind of nice, you know, and how they added that in there as well. So, um, so yeah, with records, uh, it, the features can be, you, some of the things that end up being in records, you can actually use in other places as well that aren't records, so. I think the using the init in place of the set, I think that's actually probably going to end up getting a lot of use long-term because I, I definitely see the value there of being able to set specific values on initialization. And then after that, right, they're, mm -hmm. uh, they're basically immutable at that point, right? You cannot change them. Yeah, you um, can set them so, in, in the constructor or yeah. you can set them in the initializer where gotcha. if, if you just have like a getter-only property, that mm -hmm. can only be set on on the constructor. So this gives Got you a you, little right. bit more flexibility. Flexibility. Got you. Yeah. Very cool. So I actually made a joke. I, I don't remember where I said this. I might have said it on Twitter, but it's kind of one of those plays on the whole meme of change my mind where you say something and you, it, you see if people really get irked with what you said. <laughs> but I, I jokingly said, everything should derive from a record now, change my mind. I mean, literally everything you do should be, you know, record person. And then you have all your things derived from person or, you know, whatever your class structures are, everything should not just be a record. And I said that kind of jokingly, because obviously if you want to use a struct for certain reasons, that's not going to work because records aren't structs. But I said that because you get so much from a record. You get, again, the two string support, you get the equality built in. You don't have to write that yourself. And for a lot of cases, what's built in is probably going to be exactly what you want. So why would you use that? I mean, I'm not doing that. I'm going to suddenly define everything to be a record, but it, it does give you a lot out of the box. So, and you can customize this. If you don't want to use the two string implementation, you know, you can, you can add your own properties, you can add your methods or records, but if you want to keep it very succinct, you can be very, you can be very expressive with just one line of code with a record if you want. So it's so a, definitely the, a cool the, the, the equality check, is that still by reference or is that going to do a uh, property comparison? That is a good question. And I'm glad that I have ILSpy open on my computer because I can dive right in and look at it. <laughs> so on um, this customer example that I have in, in the demo code that I use when I'm doing my, my C-Sharp 9 talk, the way that equals, because what ends up, happening is I have a customer that has an int age and then a string name, something very basic. And the underlying implementation does this kind of, it's hard to describe, but it uses this equality contract and equality comparer classes to essentially look at the name and the age from 
the current object and the one that you're comparing to and essentially says, are those properties equal? Are those values equal? And so it's basically just doing a property to property comparison between the two, which again, for the most part, that's probably what you're trying to, to do. In some cases, when you're, you're implementing equality, you may have some logic that that doesn't follow and that's not what you want. So then you just add your own, your, your own equality implementation, you know, or just yeah. don't use records, you know, but if, if that accomplishes what you're trying to do with, you know, an object just kind of being a data holder with properties, it's probably what you want. And then it just builds that for you. Yeah. So if it's doing a property, you know, value comparison, then if you did need to know if something, there were actual different records, you could use reference equals. I think that would work for you. Yeah, probably. And one thing to keep in mind too, when you're talking about equality is, and with all this stuff that records do to implement underneath the scenes, is that you can't inherit from a record in in a class or a struct. So in other words, if you have a record, you can't use that as your base class for inheritance in a class or a struct. And in fact, in structs, you can't because structs don't inherit from anything else. But you can inherit a record from another record. That's perfectly fine. So that's another slight restriction just to keep in mind. If you really do need, which a lot of times when I'm writing code, I, I try not to just have inheritance all over the place, not because it's bad, but because it it is a very tight form of coupling. So if you don't have that or need that, you can be a little bit more flexible in the future. But if you do need that inheritance with your records, that's just one thing to keep in mind. Inheritance with a record only works with other records. So, so should records be the go-to now for use with DTOs instead of classes? I would say yes. I mean, ironically, I don't really use a lot of DTOs or POCOs or whatever you know people call them. You know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I try to you know make as little of them as I can. I sometimes see I've seen systems where you have layers and layers and layers, and every layer has their own DTOs, and there's mapping all over the place, and they go crazy with AutoMapper, and it gets really complicated. DTOs so, being data transfer object. Yeah. Yep, yep. So if I was creating them, though, I would strongly consider using the, building them all as records because, again, it's terseness of code. I can define them all in one line, and then they're going to do pretty much exactly what I want them to do. If you're maybe really, 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 really concerned about performance, that you have all these things built now in the record and I don't want them, you know, to, I would just say in that point, then use something like benchmark.net to make sure that you're actually, you know, it is slower for whatever reason, maybe, maybe not. But that's the thing is if you're really concerned about performance, then do the testing uh, performance to make sure that you're actually getting a good value for what you're trying to optimize for. And, and you have to contrast that again with the record being a very succinct way where you don't have to write nowhere near as much amount of code that you would have to before. So, so I would, to answer your question, yeah, I would, I would default to using records. The, the, the interesting thing with records is again, because they have that init only property by default is that does throw some other libraries for a little bit of a loop because they're not, they don't know about that and they don't necessarily know how to handle that, but that's rapidly changing now that C-sharp 9's out. A lot of libraries have changed so that they understand 
how to handle these objects that have init properties and use them accordingly and, and use them the right way. Cool. So the next item on the list looks like our top level statements. And for me, this while this is interesting and I and I can see how it's there is value in it, I really think it ends up being more of a throwaway feature because you can only do it in one file in your whole application. Yep. So what do you think about that? I really like it. I okay. when I first first saw what it, is it? What is so it? Top, yeah, yeah. <laughs> top level statements essentially the, the to me the pragmatic TLDR version of it is you can make your program class file much, much smaller. Again, this idea of removing a little bit of code here, there, and everywhere. Um, you don't have to make a program class. You don't have to make a main method. You basically, you might have your using statements at the top, and then you can just start writing code. And what the c compiler will do, just like what Caleb was alluding to, is say, if you have a file, one file, if you have a file that has like using statements or not, but then it just starts doing code essentially, it's going to go, ah, that's the that's a file that what you want to do is actually have, have that be your entry point into the app. Okay. So basically what you can do is go into your program CS file and nuke the program class, nuke the main method, and just start coding. So you get rid of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, what my math's probably off, but like eight lines of code. When I first heard of this and when I first saw it, I kind of went, why? I, I, I'm like, why, why do this? It seems yeah, like I'm just thinking, not, you know, is this something really people called for? Well, yes. I, and this is the thing with C sharp is I've programmed in it now for ever since its inception, even before I was released, as soon as I even heard about C, you know, C sharp, or I think it was even called cool before it even got mm -hmm. named to C sharp. I was really interested and I've pretty much been programming in the language ever since. And one thing I've realized is that features aren't added just on a whim. There is a lot, like I talked about before, there's a lot of work and research and, and, and iteration over ideas before they're actually put into, into the language. So this is definitely requested or, you know, however, either by the community or, or the, the team thought that this would be a, a good thing to, yeah, to do. Yeah, I definitely say it was definitely thought, thought through, but I just... yeah. I've never you know, talked to a developer. You know, it'd be cool if I didn't have to write a program <laughs> well, class. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. I, I think, I get what you're saying, Jason. If it's your entry point, then it's cleaner. And there's less, especially for a new developer to have to look at and process in their head. And I can see how it would be, definitely be beneficial for like demos, right? Yes. Especially if your demos one file, right? And you're just trying to show them a simple example of C Sharp. You get rid of all that, that extra noise. I can see the benefit there. I'm still still not sure about the benefit in a production app for, for like a group of senior devs. It's it's not going to perform any different. So from that different. perspective, there's no difference. But okay. once I started using it, in fact, when I was building all my my demos for the C sharp repository, C sharp nine repository I have for my presentation, I purposely did top level savings because I wanted to show out the feature. And the more that I've used it when I'm building like either just simple little console apps to try something out, or if I'm building, you know, an ASP.NET web host or another host for an application, I'm like, this is actually nicer. In fact, I wish the templates would change so that if you're in .NET 5, they'd actually 
start generating the program file to not have the program class in it or and not have by the default. Method. Yeah, by default, gotcha. because I, now I still have to go in and, you know, spend the five seconds or whatever, whatever deleting all that code. But it's, it's, it's that, again, that idea of succinctness and, and not being a barrier to entry for people, especially new people to code. You know, I'm so used to, I know what a program class is. I know what a main method is. It's not that hard to understand. But for somebody that has no idea what C Sharp is and, you know, where, where I work now on the team that I'm on, we have some interns um, actually from high school and they're completely new to programming. So having to say, here's a hello world in C Sharp, comparing that to hello world in other languages, there's a little bit more that you have to overcome just to get to the, I want to do, I can literally type now system.console.writeline, hello world in one line and it will run. Now, okay, for people coming new to the language, that's nice. But for people that have been doing it for a long time, it's still nice because, again, my program file can be a little smaller, a little bit more terse, and gets right to the point. You know, we all have a program, we all have a main method, and that's what is used to start things off. So now I'm using that, if I'm building like a Blazor application, you know, I'll change the program files to do all this. And actually what's funny is I, I just did that for a Blazor WebAssembly app, and there is a bug in that it still runs, but you get an unhandled exception on the client side. So I submitted that. <laughs> They've already fixed it. They already have a fix in for it. Um, gotcha. But, you know, again, it's this rapid, pe people, you know, change things, and it's like you don't think of every possibility of where this is going to hit. But even if you're just, you, you're an experienced developer, you still get some benefit out of it because it's a little bit less code. And the more I've used it, the more I like it, and now I'm like, I don't, I don't want to write my program class the old way. I'd much rather do it this way. Gotcha. So what do you call it then? It's not the program class anymore. So you know, what it do you gets, call it? yeah. Again, I'm gonna, is it an, an anonymous class? Well, what it gets is, and I'm so glad I kept IL Spy open for my, <laughs> um, for my demos because what I can see what they're doing is they they generate a class called less than program greater than dollar sign. And then there's a main method in there, less than main method, less than main greater than dollar sign. So they're giving names to these things, except they're really kind of munged names. It's like the, the backing fields. If you, when they added that in C sharp, if you just declare a property like public string name gets set, there's still a backing field behind it that has this really awful, bizarre, name to it. And it's done that way on purpose because they don't want you to try to do anything with reflection to find it. So for this, they're still generating a program and main method for you. It just doesn't have the, the names that you would actually kind of expect. And then it just takes everything it finds in terms of statements and code that you're doing and throws it all into the main method for you. And it just works. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. So it looks like uh, they've started a pattern and that is a play on words of pattern matching in C sharp or adding uh, enhancements or or more ways for you to to use their their pattern matching and it looks like they've got what five or six improvements in this version. Mm -hmm. um, any of them jump out to you as like really useful? Yeah. So the the pattern matching stuff, which again when we talked about the evolution of features that goes into C sharp, back when pattern matching 
was added to C Sharp, which is in 7.0, I remember that the feature was actually going to have a lot more feet, was going to have more features to it. It was going to have more things that you could do with it. And they kind of backed off on that. And I think that's been a good thing that they do because they want to make sure what's in a language, what's in the language version is good. And then in future ones, they can start building on that um, as needs must. And the same thing with pattern matching is now in, in C Sharp 9, they've added a couple of extra things to it. And what what I find really interesting with pattern matching in 9, there's, there's basically two things is now you can say, if I want to switch on some value, let's say I want to switch on an integer value. I can now say like it's a score. So let's say I want to switch on a score value. So I can say score switch, enter my block. And then I can say greater than or equal to zero and, and I mean the literal word and, not the double ampersand, but the literal word and less than four. And if that's the case, then it will return what's on the right-hand side after the after the arrow. And then I can have another switch you know, expression, say if it's between this range or how whatever I want to do. That, that addition of and and or, which exists now, is, is a nice addition. And some people have wondered, why did they put the, the English words in rather than using double ampersand or double pipe? It's because from a compiler standpoint, that became too ambiguous in some cases. You just couldn't figure out in some Boolean expression cases, was the ampersand, was the ampersand with the and and or was it not? It, it, it got kind of messy. So just having literal and and or there are nice. The other thing that got added with pattern matching in C Sharp 9, which I'm using all the time now, it seems like a really, really small thing, but it's comparing to null. And for the longest time, every C-sharp developer has ever done if customer not equal to with the bang and the equal sign null, and then you go off and do something for a null check. You could do something a little different in C-sharp 8 where you could say like if customer is and then have two curly braces because that was basically a, a property pattern match and that would only work if your object wasn't null. But that, was, that didn't really read that well. Now you can literally say if customer is not null, and then it will go into whatever the if block does. And the reason I like this is because it's a literal comparison to null. If you use not equals, pretty much everybody's code is going to work the way you expect it to. But somebody could be a jerk and implement the not equals the operator for not equals and make it do something that you wouldn't expect with null. Now, again, somebody doing that is a nefarious individual and it's probably not the you know nicest person in the world. But that was kind of the quote, a little bit of a, of a problem with not equals is that it wasn't actually comparing to, it's comparing to null, but it could be changed. Whereas is not null is again, a literal comparison to null. So to me, that is absolutely the 100% right way to do it. And again, it's a small thing, but that's, I'm changing all the code that I have now. Every time I see not equal null, I just change it to is not null, you know, or well, is null, you it, can do that as well. It's, it's easier to read too. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, right, we're used to the thing equals or, you know, we're used to the old syntax, but it definitely is easier to read. I think so. so. Yeah. And that's... It's arguably personal preference, but mm. I think it's easier to read. And it's funny because if you 
you know, with us talking about all these features and there's still more to go in C-sharp nine, but with the way that you would write code in like C-sharp one or even C-sharp two, and you compare it to probably what you would do now in C-sharp nine, it's going to look different. I mean, yeah, there's similarities, but it's definitely going to have a different feel to it than, you know, what you would have done 15 years ago. So can you say is not object? Can you say is not object? I don't, I, th- I think you can, well, you can say if some object is customer, you're comparing it literally to the customer type, and then you can say is customer C, and then it will say if it's actually a customer C, if it's a customer, then it will assign C to the cast of that object to customer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you could probably say that. But, but you, you can't, you know, for null check, you can say something, if something is object, yeah, and that'll be a, a null check type thing. So I didn't know if you could also add not in there now. I would imagine you can. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. see why you couldn't. So whenever I get questions like that, I'm always <laughs> like, well, my my brain's not a compiler, but the compiler can do that. So let's <laughs> actually just whip up a console app and see what happens. You know? Yep. <laughs> so, yep. Give it a shot. That was just yeah. something that just just popped in my head, so I just threw yeah. it out there. Hey, folks! If you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. We've still got a lot of stuff to go over, and I know we want to get to the code generators, but they've also added a lot of, I guess, kind of like the is not null, smaller features or improvements that I think are going to make everyone's lives much easier. One of these is that when you're knowing up an object, you no longer have to define the object itself because it knows what the object is if you actually have put it in on the left side of the equals instead of using var. Yep. Yeah. That that syntax, the, what, you're call, what you're talking about is what's called target type new. And th- that's, it's, a little weird because for for so long I've I've done var customers equal the new customer. I love var. I'm team right. var. You know, everywhere right. I, I my editor config is set up so that everything has to be var. That's just the way I roll. Some people still yeah. like to hurt their fingers and type out the full type name. You know, rock on, right. whatever. What's interesting now is that if you actually say customer C, you now say is equal to new, and if it's a and that's new, it. You know, that's yeah. it. If you have arguments, you can just say new and then pass in the arguments and it knows you're trying to call that specific constructor. So it infers the the type from what's on the left-hand side, which, okay, so do now, now I change everything to have full type names. And, and no, I won't, because that right. to me is not the place you want to do it. The places that I, I've found that I really like it and where I'm using it is, one, if I do have to define a field, because fields, you can't use var. You have to put the full type, or you have to put the type name there. But I can now say something like private read-only dictionary of string string table is equal to new. And that just works. It knows it's a dictionary. And so now I don't have to specify the type on both sides of a field. So a small thing, but it's a, it's a nice, again, terseness thing. The other one is if I want to, call a method that's taking an argument of a specific type and I want to new up an instance of that 
as I'm passing it into the method. Now I can just say new at the call site and that just works as well. It looks, again, like a lot of things in, in C-sharp in the last five years, when you see it the first time, it does potentially feel a little weird. You look at it and you can almost now start having a method signature or method call that has nothing but a bunch of news in it. And you're like, that's not readable. I can't just look at that CS file in like a PR and GitHub and go, well, what is that, what's that actually doing? And that's a fair statement, but I, I find that just as nice as I would find var. You can't look at a var variable and just text and go, well, what actually is that? And I'm okay with that. I've, I've been fine with that. So some people may not like that. And some people may say, I don't want to use that. And you're not forced to. You're not suddenly forced to changing to not putting the name of the type when you're saying new. But if, you, if you're in a place where you don't need it, you can get rid of it now. So... In your uh, in your compiler brain, there does that come out with the same IL? Yep, exactly the same IL. So this is just it's a compiler trick. It's one of those things. If it can if it can infer the type, then it knows exactly which constructor to call. So there's exact. It's the same exact performance. There's no difference. So, and you know, I can see what you're talking about, especially with PR requests, if, uh, possible issues. Say you're actually calling into a method on another class and it expects two objects and you pass in one and the second object is just new with the parentheses. Well, what is that new? You, you have to go digging to find it because it's not right there. Uh, and, and this obviously yeah. doesn't work either if you have a, if the method is taking as a parameter, a base type, like a person, and what you want to pass in is a customer which derives from person. Well, then you have to be explicit. Otherwise, if you don't, it's just going to assume that what you're trying to do is new up an instance of person. So, you know, and it's not, you know, again, it's something that the compiler is just going to infer and that if you don't put the name in, it's going to assume that you're trying to make a new of whatever that type is. And it just goes from there. So I'm looking at the list here. And one thing that's one item that sticks out in my mind is uh, static anonymous functions. <laughs> what are those? Yeah, there's, well, you know, you say, you say that one. And to me, there's when, when I do my talk, there's about five or six that I sometimes kind of blast through in C-sharp 9 because they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit specific to a, a somewhat small domain. And static anonymous methods is, it's a nice thing to have because it prevents you from closing over a variable and doing things that you may not have expected to happen in the right way. But it to me, it's it's a it's one that just really hasn't been a wow. I'm really glad they added that feature. It's it's like okay, there's there's other things like that as well, like a module initializer, local init's flag, um, function pointers. You know, these are things that actually again have value because they were added to the C sharp language and people are using them. But me personally, I don't really have a, a large need to use them. I've shown the locals init flag feature, which just to let everybody know what I'm talking about, is there's an attribute now called skip locals init. And what that does is if you put that in your code, that's essentially saying that your variables will not be initialized to be zeroed out. For the, I think, I don't know how much 99.99% of code out there, it won't matter. You don't care. It's only in the case if you're doing a lot of stack allocations and a significant amount of it, 
that this can give you a slight performance benefit because it, the compiler and the runtime is not going to spend just a little bit extra cycles to make sure that everything is set to default zeroed out values. So, you know, there, there's an article that somebody actually did that went through with benchmark.net with that one specific feature and looked at when is it a benefit? Again, if, if you're not doing that case where you're doing your own memory allocation and you're doing stack allocations, there's no point. There's, you know, there's no point to actually having that attribute in your code. But if you are, now you could actually potentially see a little bit better performance. So there's a there's a fair amount of features like that in C sharp nine. You know, function pointers is another one which is cool. People do use that in native invocation scenarios and other places where they're really trying to eke out performance uh, when they're calling a, a function essentially by by its reference. But that's a very small edge case in some ways as well. So it's not something that I would expect people to suddenly change all their delegates to being function pointers. That would probably not really be that huge of a benefit. It's, it's again, for those extreme pr performance cases where you're really trying to eke out everything you can, so. Have, have you seen any uh, performance improvements in C-sharp 9 for the rest of us, right? For people who aren't using the, these, these functions that are more of an edge case? So is, is the question, is there a measurable performance difference if I'm calling a, a method via like a delegate as compared to a function pointer? No, I mean, are you seeing you seeing any any uh, performance benefits from C sharp eight to C sharp nine? Anything oh. that's, that stands out to you? So did the compiler get better? Is that what you mean? Um, well, I I would hope so. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, there's the the compiler in and of itself is like, if you look at the Roslyn repo, it's huge, and there's there's a right. lot in there, and and just like any system, they're always looking for ways to improve it. The, even just the little, the little paper cuts to the big gashes, they're always trying to find mm. ways where they can, you know, stifle the bleeding. Just like anybody else, you know, with any other program, we we always um, can find ways to eke out a little bit here, there, and everywhere. Right. So to me, it's from C sharp eight to C sharp nine. It's an interesting question because I've not seen anything from Microsoft saying. Mm how they've improved the performance of the compiler. What I do see coming from Microsoft over the past couple of years is how has .NET Core 2.0 improved from 1.0? How has .NET mm -hmm. Core 3.0 improved from 2.0? And now how has mm -hmm. .NET 5 improved from 3? And they have this these articles that go through excruciating cool detail on how things have gotten better in terms of performance. Mm -hmm. But this is actually, to me, raising an interesting question, which is, how has the performance of the compiler itself improved from versions? And you, you now you now stuck like an earwig in me. Now, <laughs> so I'm gonna, well, once we're done with this, the, I'm going to start looking to see if they do have anything like that. Well, the reason I guess the the reason I'm asking is, um, and I cannot remember where I heard this, and and I think it was someone trying to make a point or trying to get to perk people up, but they basically said that they don't know how long C sharp will last because it is been around for so long and there is so much to it that at some point it will collapse um, under its own weight. And I really feel like Microsoft is, uh, you know, is aware, of, is aware of that possibility and making sure it doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I was. It's funny that you bring this up because I was just listening to a podcast where Mads Torgensen was on and he was asked pretty much the same exact question. And, you know, his his take on it, I think, is a lot more relevant and useful than right. mine, per se. <laughs> you know, gotcha. The person that's like the lead designer of C Sharp, you know, you, you want to listen to that person. Do you know and, what and podcast said, was that? It's okay to say. Um, I think it was Jesse Liberties. So okay. he has a podcast and that's the one that uh, Mads was on. And Mads has said, yes, I've heard like the, the things on Twitter and, and other places and social media and, and whatnot about this notion that C-Sharp is actually moving too fast and there's too many features and it's, and it's going to fall under its own weight and, and it's going to be a disaster in, you know, one year or five years. And, and, it's, and if I remember from what I just heard in the podcast, he said when he joined the C-Sharp team, they were just on C-Sharp 3. And it was kind of the same feeling because, oh, Link and all these new features are being added for C-Sharp <laughs> and, oh, it's going to fall under its own weight. Well, 15 years later, here we are and it's still and It's only gotten better. Right. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. does acknowledge, and I think everybody in the C-Sharp team would acknowledge that if you are still additive to the language, they're not subtractive because they don't break people. You know, they're, they're very adamant of saying we are backwards compatible. And okay, so if you make that part of your constraint, then you can't do anything else but be additive in a way until if you would ever at some point say, yes, we are going to start to remove features. And that's a, that's a what if that I don't ever see happening from C sharp. Um, I would be very, very shocked if they ever actually did decide to go down that road. But there's a, to me, there's a tension there in that if you keep adding and adding and adding and you don't remove things, do you start getting into the painting yourself in a corner scenario? Do you start getting into situations where, well, we really can't do this because there's these edge cases or things here that are kind of preventing us to move in this direction. And ultimately, I don't have the 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 greatest of answers to that because I'm not on the compiler team. I'm not on, you know, I, I, I don't work at Microsoft. So I'm just kind of listening to all the people that are in the teams and getting their takes on it. it it's funny to me too that you're never going to win you know, you're kind of screwed one way or the other. Either you don't do a lot and then people are are saying, oh, C-sharp is stagnant because it's not giving us new features and look at all these other languages and how cool they are and with, with all the stuff they can do. Or you put in 